0: Hello and welcome to the Life Is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today my guest is Joe Rigney, the author of Strangely Bright. Can you love God and enjoy this world? Uh, so, Dr. Rigney, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Now, I guess the best place to start, uh, the first question that we should take, is just the question that you pose in the title. You know, if the title is going to have a question, then I guess that's the that's the best beginning point. So, can can you love God and enjoy the world?
1: Yeah, well, that's um, obviously not a uh, a simple question. It's why it, <laughs> why it gets to be it's why it gets to be in the title. Um, if it was simple, then you wouldn't need to write a book about it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but it, it is a complicated question, um, and the reason is is because you have verses in the Bible that says, you know, um, you can't love if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in it. Mm-hmm. Right? D- don't love the things of the world, and so. Um, and so that's in the Bible, and then you've got other verses in the Bible which say things like uh, everything created by God is good, and nothing's to be rejected if it's received the thanksgiving, which makes it sound like sure, of course, you, of course you can love God and enjoy the world because He made a good world, and it, you shouldn't reject it. And so that's the complication uh, in the question. Um, and uh, and so at one level the answer is going to be yes, I'm going to answer the question yes, but it's not a simple yes, it's a complex yes. Because of what it means to um, treasure God, what it means to delight in God above all things, and what it, and what the dangers of um, the things of the world, the things um, that uh, that our sinful hearts um, will will take and make more important than they ought to be, and things like that. And so, it's a it's a complicated question, but they, but the simple answer is yes, you mm-hmm. can love God and enjoy the world. Okay, so.
0: That's a very qualified yes, though, in the sense that, you know, you, you wrote this book about it. Um, from my understanding, this has been fairly – answering this question has been a fairly large theme in your own work, in your own ministry. So what yes. what has kind of drawn you to feel the need to really explore this question and its answer?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question. So um, this is a deeply um, – um, it's a personal book. It's been a personal kind of project for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Um, so in college, um, I was exposed to the ministry of uh, John Piper, and uh, and um, through his ministry, the Bible kind of broke open to me. And so if your listeners are familiar at all with him, um, uh, he's, a, he's a pastor or was a pastor here in, in Minneapolis. And his um, kind of tagline summary statement is uh, Christian hedonism. Um, which means we we uh, the phrase is God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. And so so Piper um, has been trying to connect um, our passion for our own happiness and God's passion to be glorified and say those are the same passion. We're meant to be happy in God. And when I encountered his ministry, that made a lot of sense. I saw that everywhere in the Bible. I saw God's passion for his glory. I saw the calls to delight in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord and be satisfied and to treasure uh, Christ. And so all of that made sense. Um, but the whole point of that is you need to treasure God above everything else. And, and uh, you've got verses in the scriptures that say things like, you know, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there's nothing I desire besides you. Okay? And so that's in the Bible. It's Psalm 73. And so you can pray that. You can sing that. And then you have to ask yourself, yeah, but do I really mean it? Do I, do I really mean there is nothing on earth, nothing on earth that I desire? besides God? And when I ask myself that question, honestly, it, it's kind of like, well, sure there are. I'm, I'm married. I desire my wife. I have kids. I love them. I enjoy Chipotle burritos and, um, and fish tacos. So I love baseball. So there's all kinds of things that I seem to desire besides God. And yet there's the verse that I feel like is faithful, biblical, want to sing it, want to say it, want to mean it. And so Piper's ministry really accented that side. Um, but then there's these other, these other kind of passages. I mentioned, uh, Timothy, um, there's ones like, um, you know, uh, every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And so God's sending these gifts. He's, he's giving these gifts to me um, for my enjoyment. And so how do I, how do I navigate that tension that, that you feel? And, and it, it really is a personal, experiential, live tension between, on the one hand, my desire to honor God, glorify Him above everything else and yet my very real persistent and I think good desire for the things that he has made for the gifts that he's, he's given. And so that's the, the experiential tension that I felt, um, usually manifesting in kind of a a low grade guilt. Um, I think a lot, I think a lot of Christians can feel this sometimes because they're unsure. So they, they really enjoy something. Um, they have a great time with their kids. They have a great time with their family. They really enjoy something. And, and, uh, and then in the back of their mind, there's this this little subtle guilt that says, yeah, but are you loving it too much? You know, it, are you enjoying it too much? You need to check yourself here. And that little voice um, can be a problem. It can actually be really detrimental to uh, enjoying your your family or, or your friends or whatever you're doing. And where's it coming from? Why is it there? I think it's coming from some of these verses um, that accent the supremacy of God. And so, um, so I set out to kind of, explore that problem, which is an experiential problem and a biblical tension, um, to try to say, okay, how do we do this rightly? How, how do we both treasure God above everything and enjoy what he's made and given in a way that honors him and doesn't, uh, doesn't dishonor him?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people's approach to that is kind of almost just to give up sometimes, just the right, sort, yeah. you, you know, just just the sort of like, yeah. uh, you know, I, either either it's going to be, OK, I'm just going to feel guilty about this um, or it's going to be the like like th- these these verses, you know, both sides of them, but you never try to integrate them together. And yeah. so you just kind of like, OK, well, Sunday is the day that I'm going to put God above everything else and then the other days of the week i'm just going to kind of mm-hmm. live my life and it it can create this you know if if you try to resolve the tension uh in a way that doesn't integrate these passages you end up with a yeah. very divided sense in your faith uh where yeah. there are times in my life okay when i'm de- it's it's almost like when i'm devoted to god i'm devoted to god uh but when yeah. i'm living out my life i'm living out my life and the problem with that i think becomes that if you take that approach to solving the problem, then it becomes very hard to find anything of God in the things of this earth.
1: Right. Yeah. No, because uh, it's unstable. There's no way that that's going to be persistent because either everybody's going to want the guilt to go away. And if your expectation is, is that, okay, as I get, as I grow in holiness, um, as I, as I become like Jesus, um, then my love for and my delight in, um, you know, a walk around the lake in late summer or, um, or, you know, eating some, some strawberries, um, in the morning, it, my love for those things is going to get, is going to diminish. It's going to, it's going to, I mean, this is where the, the title of the book comes, right? Is the, the old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, which, which has the line, um, and the things, the full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. and So you, you make it sound like, okay, my love for my, the walk on the lake and the, the strawberries grows dim when Jesus shows up. So if I'm becoming more like Jesus, all of that needs to diminish. And, and so then that means that anytime the things of this earth don't grow dim, but they're bright, that's a threat to your love for God. And it means that your expectation is, if I really love God more, if I love God the way I'm supposed to, that my love for those things is going to diminish, which doesn't typically happen. And so then there is this sort of, I'm just going to give up, or I'm just going to kind of muddle through with this persistent low-grade guilt that kind of haunts me, and I don't know what to do with, which is different than a conviction of sin, where, you know, this is the sin I committed, I need to confess it to God, uh, and then he's, he offers forgiveness in Christ. That's, that's a, a problem that God tells us how to deal with. Um, this low-grade guilt, is like what? Where does it? What am I supposed to do with it? I'm not sure exactly how I'm supposed to repent if I'm supposed to repent. Uh, and so there is this, um, I don't know, frustration uh, and division that you, you describe. I think that sets in for many.
0: Mm-hmm. So you try to bring these verses together. You try to integrate them. And I, I can just tell you kind of how I've worked this out in my own life. And then you you can tell me if that needs any you know more. If you have a different nuance or clarification to it. Um, yeah. But for me, the way that I've kind of come to to think about this is that you know, and, and I'm, I'm I, I think your, your book helped me kind of clarify the metaphor um, that I would use to explain this to other people. So this is kind of the first time that I'm explaining it this way. Is that yeah. what I am looking for in experiences in life, or uh, things in life, or relationships in life? Um, if they go strangely dim in the light of Christ, well, yeah, those, those things all pale in relation to, or it should pale in relation to my relationship with Christ. However, if God is in those things and God is light, then he is making those things strangely bright. They are looking brighter. They are looking better. That I, I, it's not an all it's, you know, it's, it's not an all or nothing thing. The things that I should be pursuing in life, the things that I do, the experiences that I have, the the people that I am uh, in relationship with should have this light of God in them. Yeah. And if that is the case, then these are things worth pursuing. But if it is an activity or an experience uh, that God is not in, then it's not an activity or experience that is worth pursuing.
1: Right. Yeah. So um, and, and when you say I'm, I'm pursuing God in it, the reason that, that you can even do that is because of what the Bible teaches us about why God made the world. Like he, he made the world to, sh- to make himself known. And so, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, you know, the thing, you know, his internal power and divine nature has been clearly seen in the things that have been made. So he made the world to show us what he's like, which means if I'm engaging with the world in order to find out what he's like, um, then I'm oriented the world rightly and I should enjoy it as a reflection, display, manifestation of him and an invitation to know him uh, more. And so because God is present everywhere and speaking everywhere, um, you know, the theologians call this, right, general revelation, because that's true, then that means everything, every pleasure, every enjoyment, every gift is an opportunity to know God more. And then how that actually works itself out Um, this is how I argue the book is that there really is a kind of um, two, um, two approaches and that there's a kind of a rhythm between them in our lives. And, and so the two approaches are things like this comparative approach, which is what that Psalm reflects when it says, there's nothing I desire besides you. It's what Paul means when he says, um, you know, every, whatever gain I had, I count as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Like it's all rubbish compared to Jesus. That's, that's comparison. So, Compared to Jesus, if I have Jesus and nothing else, I'm good. That's if I if I put Jesus on one side of the scales, everything else in my life, all the good things, which which do I choose? Which do I want? Well, Jesus is the only faithful answer. But having done that, then now I want to enjoy God in everything, and I want to enjoy, enjoy everything in God the way you just described, because He's present there. He's He's available to me there. And so now I'm going to try to. That's an integrated approach. I'm going to integrate those things. And this is why our lives are structured in these rhythms, or they ought to be structured in rhythms of, you know, we worship on the Lord's day in order to orient ourselves as a, as a church um, to God. He's supreme. He's fundamental. And then we're sent out into the world to honor him, love him, serve him, love other people, um, which, which means we're not necessarily always focusing on him directly. Um, but he's always present with us in the things that we do. And the same thing's true of our daily lives. This is why we um, I, I hope most of us, um, you know, wake up in the morning and we pray and we read the scriptures and we try to focus directly on God himself to get oriented uh, in our lives. And then um, with that orientation and that, and that foundation and that rootedness, um, now we're out into the world and we're alive to him. We're looking for him. Where is he in this world? Is he made? How is he uh, um, making himself known? Um, how is he blessing me, giving me uh, gifts? How is he making me an opportunity to be a gift to others? So that's the kind of rhythm approach of up to God and then out into the world that I think um, helps, to, helps to resolve some of that that guilt and tension. Because it makes you go, okay, there's a time, and it's an important time, where I'm going to be directly Godward. And then there's a time where I'm not going to be directly Godward. I'm going to be indirectly Godward because he's with me. He's present. He's active. But I'm actually looking my children because I need to love them and make them breakfast. I'm, I'm looking at my wife because we're going to go on a date tonight. I'm uh, I'm looking at my neighbor because he needs me to help him uh, clean out his garage. So all of those things are I'm not consciously, directly, intentionally have God as my focus, but He's present, and I'm alert to Him, especially when He interrupts, and especially um, as as you kind of. Um, seek to to pray and address help me God help me with this hard conversation I'm about to have thank you God for that wonderful uh, morning I just had with my friend I haven't seen in a long time all of those things are opportunities to go directly Godward in gratitude and worship um, and then back out into the world alive and alert for it
0: Mm -hmm. I think this is this is such a great conversation for this particular time in history uh, when we are dealing with the loss of a lot of things um, you know, with with COVID-19, with, with the pandemic, um, with, you know, economic closures and shutdowns and job loss or things being put on pause or, you know, it, it's much harder to get together with friends or family because you don't want to live in fear, but you also want to be safe and just trying to navigate all of these complexities of things that weren't necessarily so complex um, yeah. at the beginning of this year. That this has really, really, I think, been a challenge for people, because we've had a lot of our, uh, a lot, a lot of the things that we would take pleasure in, in this life, have, have gone away. Yeah. Um, right. Particularly within the church, you know, I j- just the, the example of, of not being able to gather together in person. Has become yep. a huge, huge issue uh, throughout, you know, uh, yep. the, the past few months, and uh, it's it's been interesting to see how how various various people have reacted to that, uh, mm-hmm. to see like okay, this has been taken away from me, uh, or this experience has been taken away from me, or these people have been taken away from me. It, it, it has really made me think about where um, we're the center of you know I- I- am I really honoring and loving God above all things uh even right. if even if that is even if that thing is the Sunday service uh, because you know, we had this conversation in my church uh, when we were considering how to best handle um you know going online yeah. and you know, reopening and you know the question that we kept coming back to is are we idolizing this service? over worshiping God? Are we worshiping the service and the routine and the experience and the relationship and the normalcy of everything? Or is it okay that that thing went away to then help us focus on God? I...
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I I think you're right that um, the disruption that COVID's caused um, is a gut check in terms of where your heart is on a lot of things. And I think, you know, one of the ways that I, I hope the book can speak to that kind of felt disorientation is by saying the thing that you're missing is a really good thing. And so it's, it's, it's good. And especially I think when it comes to things like corporate worship, God intends for the church to gather together because there's really important things that happen when, when we gather like that, that you know, the preaching of the word, the Lord's table, um, all of those things are uh, worshiping God with his people is a big deal in the Bible. Um, and in our lives, experientially. And so its absence should be a, should be a felt absence. Like if, if, um, if we could just shrug our shoulders, and I think that there are people who do this, who like, okay, can't, can't, go, can't gather at church anymore. And they're kind of like, you know, that's kind of great. I can kind of sleep in on Sundays. I can kind of get to, get to the podcast of the service, whatever I want. And they're sort of like, wow, this is, this is pretty nice. I think that's a problem because I think it's, it's orienting, reorienting our rhythms. And I suspect there will be all kinds of drift into worldliness because the church and the gathered worship of the church, um, is, is a center of gravity where we, um, you know, we, we've been preaching through the Psalms and we've, we've been able to gather at a, at a shelter. And one of the things I told our, our folks a couple weeks ago, uh, in, when we were in Psalm 29, we're ascribed to the Lord, the glory, to his name. Um, it's important that we come and ascribe to the Lord, the glory, to his name. And we see each other do it. And we, and we hear each other do it so that we know we are the sort of people we want to ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due him, because if we don't do that, then, then everything else culturally ignores God completely, and it will become easier for us to ignore God completely, and that's a real danger because then other things, it's not like we'll stop worshiping, it's just other things will will take his place, other things will become the center of gravity, and uh, and then, and so um, in this in this, there ought to be a felt absence um, in, our, in our, because we can't worship together and we ought to act deliberately so that it's as temporary as possible. We don't want to be foolish. We want to be wise and prudent. Um, but there really is a, a, uh, a, a good that God intends to give his people in the gathered worship. And, and it's not his, it, it, part of it is it's himself through the preaching and the Lord's table and the singing together, dressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Like God wants to make himself known there in a special and particular way. And so to, to not have that um, and to kind of do the substitute thing online um, is, well, praise God, we can do the substitute thing online in the middle of the pandemic, but it is, it is a substitute and it's a poor one over the long term.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it, I think this, this is sort of a bigger issue in the church, uh, but especially the church in the West has a real problem with not knowing how to lament and not knowing mm-hmm. how to mm-hmm. express loss. Uh, mm-hmm. you know we're it's just not something we're used to as as such a you know a prosperous church that has yep. you know great freedoms and so to have that adjusted or altered in in any way um you know brings up a lot of a lot of consternation and uh and I, my hope through all this is that we return stronger and no longer take for granted. Uh, that experience that we have every Sunday, yeah. uh, and yeah. and hopefully that, and, and hopefully move to where it's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm also like this corporate aspect of worship is is very important, uh, but also there is a personal aspect to worship that I have to be responsible. I, I can't just be drugged along by my church into my faith. I have to take right. my own personal. You know movement toward it um so w- as we move into this this idea of, of you know losing a good thing uh yeah. whether it's a job loss uh or a church loss in this in this pandemic or a loss of a friendship or loss of a parent or know uh, loss of a child any and, and any of these loss from big to small um yep. the, when we, we i think we can have the tendency well god is bigger than this uh keep your eyes focused on jesus and you know when any loss comes across these are, these are the platitudes that you hear uh, you know the, sort of this and, and that's not what someone wants to hear when they've you know when they've lost they've had a major loss in their life, isn't that, we'll just remember that Jesus is bigger than this because they know, you know, they know that. How do we handle losing things of this earth amid knowing that God is so much greater and bigger and better?
1: Yeah. So, um, that's a great, that's a great question. And, and it is a, it is a, um, you know, even, you know, all of our prosperity can insulate us from certain kinds of suffering, but, um, the, the last enemy is still, um, here and uh, active, you know, death, death is still a thing. Loss is still a thing. Sickness. And so every, all of us are going to face it at some level. Um, and I think it really does put into sharp belief this, this question of how do we love God and enjoy the world? So, I mean, one thing is, um, I think you're right that from, for some, um, the question, okay, I know Jesus is better is like that, that's That's a settled conviction at least. Um, and so it may not be the, you know, wisdom may say that's not the most uh, pertinent thing to say in the moment of the of the uh, immediate grief. Although it is probably a good thing to say at some point as a reminder, because it, in grief, grief makes us forget. Um, so, but one thing is, this is why we want to settle the question of how do we relate to the things of earth, how does God orient to these things before you get into the moment of crisis and loss, because if you if you don't you don't have anything under your feet when the loss comes. But let's say that you do have um, the deep felt conviction of the supremacy of Jesus. There's, there's, um, I'd rather have him than anything else. Everything's lost compared to knowing him. And now you lose um, the parent. Some, your your some dad dies of cancer or, um, or the child um, who dies in the car wreck. Now what? And I think one of the thing, one of the burdens of the book is if, if our approach to the things of earth can't answer that question, it's garbage. Like we, we, we don't we're not getting it right. And so um, a couple of things that I that I try to focus on there is. One, the same kind of guilt that we feel when we enjoy things can be present when we lose things, because there can be a sense of um, if I really loved God, this wouldn't hurt so much. So when the thing's there, if I really loved God, I wouldn't enjoy this so much. When it's lost, if I really love God, it wouldn't hurt this bad. And so there can be a guilt in the, in the midst of the grief because you're just wrecked and devastated because you lost the baby. And it's awful. And then you and so now the grief is compounded by the guilt. And so you actually run from God rather than to him because you think he might be angry with you uh, because you're not, you know, taking it the way a Christian should or something like that. And part of what I try to point in the book is, look, we, we want to be able to grieve the way Bible characters grieve. Like, like the, the Bible shows us how to grieve. So you read the Psalms and how did David when things weren't going well for David, when, when there was deep loss there, what did he do? And it wasn't stoic. It wasn't, you know, stiff upper lip and take it. It was weeping, wailing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm crying out to you day and night. Where are you? How long? Like, there's this deep felt loss in his life. Or you look at Job, you know, tearing his clothes and pouring sackcloth on his head after the death of his children. And you say, and, and that's faithfulness. That's faithful grief there. And then, of course, the classic ultimate example is Jesus, who weeps with Mary and Martha and, and is troubled in spirit five minutes before he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Like, uh, of all the times when, like, Jesus might be, you know, you might expect Jesus to be like, ah, this is no big deal. Watch this. And no, he's, he's got tears in his eyes. Because death is awful. And so we want to be able to grieve like that. And that's what faithful grief looks like. And the reason it does is because whatever good thing you just lost was a, a revelation of God to you. It was a God was revealing himself to you in that person through that thing. He was speaking to you. And therefore, it's loss really hurts like it. it he, it's um, So grief is what love looks like when grief's object is taken when love's object is taken that that's what love, the form that love takes and so part of i want to free people in this book to to grieve and wail and lament not curse god which is a temptation uh, we don't want to be like job's wife curse god and die that's unfaithfulness but we want to be able to to rage and and feel it down to our bones and press through it and find god in the pain as so we press into the pain in order to find the lord there because that's where he's inviting us in um further up and further in into who he is and we won't get there if we're stiff arming the grief because we don't want to grieve too much or in the wrong way or something like that.
0: Yeah. I think this was such an important chapter of the book because pretty much anyone who has experienced loss and everyone has, um, have had to deal with well-meaning friends Mm -hmm. and family members giving these platitudes of well everything you know works together for god works all things out for good for those who love him and and like you can understand the logical truthfulness of that statement we know that it's scriptural but it's not that particular statement said in that particular way at this particular time is not helpful now and to both say this thing meant something to you, and hey, you know what? It meant something to God as well. That He grieves mm-hmm. this loss for you, as well. Uh, that doesn't do anything to to denigrate the majesty and power of God. Uh, in fact, in, in my opinion, it heightens it because you're saying you're grieving over this gift that God gave you. You're grieving over the the relationship, the thing that you saw. In that mm-hmm. um, in that relationship in him, and so yep. that's that that to me was a, a very good part of the book. Like you, you had mentioned specifically. I'll bring this up. Um, I, I think it was a, a, a friend friends of yours who had who had lost a baby. or lost a child, mm-hmm. and yeah. what uh, my family has gone through adoption loss. So not the death mm-hmm. of a child, but the a yeah. child who we thought was going to be placed into our family. And then, yeah. you know, it Wasn't. It, yeah. it, it didn't. Oh, and that, that's an even more, like, complex and complicated loss. Yeah. Uh, but ha- so I'm not going to compare the yeah. two things because the, the children that we thought were going to be a part of our family are still alive. And God has redeemed those situations in in wonderful ways. And yeah. that's a story for another time. Um, but, you know, we heard many of those same things and yes. you know when you said that you just felt compelled to write to them you know it is okay to love your child as much as you did yeah. and that's just that's such a freeing that, that that's what like, that's yeah. what needs to be said that's such a freeing thing and yeah. that was the first time where I was like yeah that's what I wish that's what I wish people had said to me that's what right. I wish had happened
1: yeah and, and it's it's a um to be able to 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 look at someone in the midst of their grief and and to be able to say this is unbelievably hard and you're feeling it as hard, as hard as you're feeling it is not a threat to your love for God. It doesn't have to be. Um, the, the question is where are you going to take the grief? So um, you're, you're, the grief can, could lead you to curse God. It could lead it. It could come out that way. And I think the well-meaning people who are trying to, who will, who will use um, the, the a platitude is a truth uttered at the, at the wrong time. Usually. So it's true, all things work together for, for good. Um, but the people who are doing that are trying to avoid one danger for the griever. And they're not, but they're not aware of the other danger for the griever, which is that they don't actually grieve and they don't actually press into the pain. And so to be able to say to them, this, this, this hurts just as much as it's worth. Like that baby was worth a ton and it mattered. And, and so of course you feel this way. And it's good and right that you grieve and lament the loss. Um, is meant to be freeing lest the kind of guilt uh, you know, settle in um, and, and keep you from either grieving or healing or whatever um, because you're, you're hiding from God in your, in your grief and guilt Um, is exactly, it's exactly right. That's, that's, that's what it's. And the way I talk about it in the, in the, in the book is suffering like that is a test. It, 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 test whether or not we mean it when we say there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. Like it's easy to say that. Do you mean it? Right. Do you, do you, can you say with Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Like that's, so suffering tests that, but, it, but it's, it's, it's a test not given by, you know, sort of a, um, a strict disciplinarian who's trying to slap you if you get out of line but by a father who's wanting you to say I want you to know me more. I want you to know how deep my love is for you and and this pain is how you will know that if you will find me in it. Um and uh and so uh and so come in, press into the pain, press into other people, don't run from them, uh and find find God even in the loss. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: I I want to close this out by asking you uh, about two things of this earth that I know you find joy in and you have mentioned them uh, in passing already in this podcast. And that's, that's CS Lewis and baseball. Uh, So what is, what is your connection and joy in those things?
1: Yeah. Lewis has just been a a good friend, um, you know, uh, for, for years. Um, I've now written, uh, I've written two books about him specifically and then the other two books that i've written have been deeply shaped by his uh his writings and so um so i just love him i i find immense help in his wisdom and his um his logic uh, the way he he touches on the root of the issue um the way he's able to kind of unveil the motivations of my own heart he's a he's a very skillful soul doctor i think and so, uh, and so I, I find him incredibly helpful. I love to read him. I'm always, usually always reading something by him. Um, teaching classes on him uh, at Bethlehem College and Seminary. Actually, I, I'm starting up. We start up in about two or three weeks, and I've got a class on Lewis this fall that I'm very excited to teach. Um, and uh, and so he's he's just been a huge influence on me. And then baseball is just a it's a family thing. Like my grandfather played, and managed in the majors. My dad worked in baseball. Uh, my father-in-law, uh, is a, is a huge baseball fan. Um, and then now my boys and I, you know, we just, we're finishing up our, uh, abbreviated COVID-19, um, you know, little league season. And it's a blast. It's one of the things that, and my wife loves it. So it's, it's a whole family, uh, thing. And it, and it's, and it's, um, and there's layers to it because it's got, you know, just a normal kind of recreation. It's fun to be outside. Um, it's got the kind of strategy part. I love the strategy part of baseball It's got the family connections for me Um, and it's bittersweet. Like my dad passed away about um, seven years ago, uh, pretty young. He's in his sixties of Alzheimer's and, and losing him was really hard and I miss him the most on the baseball field. And so I I have to apply what we talked about with grief in, in those moments where it's like, yeah, it's, it's hard. Dad's gone and I miss him out here. Um, But I I don't want to run from that pain. I want to press into it. Um, And so, yeah, it's it's a thick joy uh for me and I uh and it's one I'm I'm really grateful grateful to God for um in in my life.
0: Yeah. All right. Well uh Joe, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to be on the podcast. And again the book is Strangely Bright, Can You Love God and Enjoy the World? Uh and the answer is a yes, and uh, Joe really brings out the nuance uh of that answer. Uh, through this book and I think your book Things of This Earth as well really deals mm-hmm. with that subject um, yeah. and I, I would recommend both of those books as uh, may, maybe Strangely Bright as an introductory yep. uh, introduction to the topic and Things of This Earth as a more robust full uh, discussion although there's always more to be said and more to be to be written on this topic and uh, it's from from Crossway Books you can purchase it through them on Amazon or contact your local independent bookstore.